Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hello and thanks for tuning into this week's Speak Up conversation. I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice. Over recent years, we've been excited to see the development of intermediary programs in several of the Australian states and territories, five Australian states and territories. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by the managers of three of these. We've got Lucy Knox from Victoria. Hello, Lucy. Hello, Mary. We've got Laura Salacio from the ACT. Hi, Laura. Hi, Mary. And last but definitely not least, we've got Marita O'Connell from Tasmania. Hello, everybody. Hey, Marita. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. So let's dive straight in. Lucy, I was wondering if you'd explain for us exactly what is an intermediary? Yes, thanks, Mary. Intermediaries are skilled communication specialists. And the role of the intermediary is to assist the witness to give their best evidence And intermediaries work both in the courts and at police stations. And essentially what they do uh, is work with witnesses to assess their communication needs and make recommendations about uh, how the people around them can best communicate with them. And intermediaries also play an active role in providing strategies uh, during those interactions to make sure um, that that person is able to communicate well. Okay. So it's all about communication and supporting people's communication so they can participate in the justice system. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now, Lucy, I know that you're you're a speech pathologist as well. I am. Um, and obviously, <laughs> speech pathologists' uh, jobs are often, unless they're doing dysphagia, are all about communication. I was just wondering how it's different being an intermediary than being a speech pathologist, or I suppose different from the other allied health um, disciplines that that may become an intermediary? Yes. Well, I think um, there are several differences. The key difference uh, is that intermediaries are officers of the court, and that means that they are independent and impartial, and ultimately their, their core responsibility is to the justice system. I think there are a couple of other key differences, though. I think um, in terms of the focus of intermediaries, they really focus on functional communication and communication that's needed in a particular situation uh, and a particular communication environment. Um, So whether that's uh, providing evidence in a police interview or um, being questioned in court. Um, And I think the other thing that I would say is that The intermediary role is time limited, so we don't have an ongoing relationship with the witness. We essentially come into the situation and assess their communication needs and make recommendations. Having said that, I think um, 
the impact that intermediaries can have in that short period is really immense. Okay. Hopefully we'll hear a bit more about that um, later. Marita, if I could come to you now, because um, I understand that you're an occupational therapist by background. Is that right? I am. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, now that you find yourself in, you know, in the position of overseeing uh, the, the intermediary program in Tasmania, I, I'm interested to know what what you're looking for when you're recruiting. So what sort of people do you feel are best suited for the role of an intermediary? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think one thing that some intermediaries do have in common is that they are an extremely clever bunch of um, people. And as Lucy said, the focus really is on that sort of functional communication. When we're recruiting, we um, we have a broad um, skill set that we're seeking. We're looking for speech pathologists, occupational therapists, psychologists, social workers. But we also have another category, as do the other jurisdictions, which uh, is, is people who who may have um, experience and expertise working with people with um, a communication need. So that could include psychiatric nurses or perhaps specialist training um, for a teacher, for example. Uh, and, and generally, um, you know, it's it's the case where an intermediary is not a one-size-fits-all model for each witness. So each witness who requires the services of an intermediary has very different communication needs. So it could be that they have, um, you know, a traditional what we would think of as a communication need, but they might also have um, other sorts of challenges such as ADHD or mental health um, a, a diagnosis of a mental health problem. And so the communication there really becomes something more around um, trying to regulate people's emotions uh, and behaviours in what can be a really stressful situation. So um, so those skill sets for, for mental health practitioners can be very helpful in, a, uh, in that situation. Absolutely. The people who might um, apply to be an intermediary or, or and then might be recruited to be an intermediary will have their own skills and experience obviously um and in whatever profession that they that they come from how do they then sort of convert that or apply that to being an intermediary which we've already established is, is very different from their clinical role yes absolutely so the f- the first thing is we um we, you know we provide some um specialist training um which i'll come back to later but um otherwise the the intermediary themselves they work with us to determine you know we make a bit of a sort of a, a matrix in into what their skill set is um so some intermediaries only work with children some only work with adults some only work with people with mental health problems uh, and other people um have you know a, a different sort of skill set that they've identified and that then just helps us to match it's, it's very much um as i said it's not that one size fits all it's not just about popping an intermediary in um, it, it's about making sure that that skill set will will match that witness. Okay. Now you mentioned sort of additional training. Yes. Um, what sorts of things do they, do potential or new intermediaries, learn about in order to be able to do their job 
the most effectively they can. Sure. So the, the criminal justice system in Australia is, is state and territory uh, based. So each um, state and territory has its own um, criminal justice system and has its own um, intermediary program and its own training program. So everybody differs um, quite a bit. I think we in Tasmania were the first to introduce a significant online component and we did that for a couple of reasons. One was um, COVID, so we were very nervous. We were even going to be able to be face-to-face and and just for the listeners' um, knowledge, we we only started our intermediary program in March of 2021. So when we were at that training stage, things were very much still up in the air with COVID as they still are. So that um, online program was sort of like, well, we know even if if we go into a lockdown, um, that can still proceed. We had a start date and and we were um, committed to that. But the other benefit is that once that sort of training has been invested in, it's reusable and it's something that we can build on um, over time. And we, we really knew in Tasmania that we were going to have gaps in services, particularly across our more rural areas. Our, our scheme covers all regions of Tasmania and so that does give us some challenges to make sure we've got skilled intermediaries in, in each of the regions. So um, our model really is that we just keep on um, recruiting to fill the needs um, as they arise. So that, that was important. And um, so that online training is a mix of It's actually got a lot of stuff on there from the other jurisdictions as well, and we do um, thank those jurisdictions for sharing with us. Um, But it's a mix of reading materials and some videos, uh, some podcasts, um, and some sort of exercises, I guess, and reflection questions on there. So it's a sort of uh, one-stop shop on all you need to know um, from a theoretical point of view um, on, on the role of an intermediary. We then had um, two days of um, face-to-face training, uh, which Laura was very generously a part of, and we had a couple of um, intermediaries from New South Wales come down as well as um, senior police and a barrister from, from New South Wales to help out as well. And so that was then really that a much more kind of practical focus of, you know, this is what it looks like, um, lots of opportunities for Q&A and, um, and an opportunity for people to meet each other as well to start to sort of build that community of practice. I'm sure that's really important because they're operating independently, you know, they're operating in, in isolation. So it'd be great for them to have had an opportunity to meet other people who are going to be working in the same role. Absolutely. And being Tasmania as well, you know, quite a few kind of already knew each other as well, but perhaps didn't know, <laughs> perhaps didn't know they were all going to be on our panel. The other thing with sure. the training is that training for intermediaries um, is ongoing. It's a real learning journey and experience. It's such a new way of working um, and such a new environment to work in that um, the intermediaries really do require lots of support and lots of ongoing CPD to build that um, skill set. So we usually do that with online Zooms and we also do a lot of one-on-one sort of um, training around particular particular um, issues and matters as they arise. Excellent. Thank you. You you mentioned that the justice system is um, uh, jurisdictionally based, so it depends on the state and territory. So it's it's going to be different in different states and territories. I was wondering about any of the key similarities and differences between the different 
um, intermediary schemes that, that you're all representing, whether that's, you know, in how you operate or who's eligible for um, for the use of an intermediary. I don't know. Whatever, whatever you, you feel you've noticed has been a key similarity or difference. Marita, I'll start with you, but then Lucy and Laura, by all means, just jump in. <laughs> sure. Well, one of the recommendations of the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sex Sexual Abuse was that each state and territory should have um, a witness intermediary program, which is sort of loosely um, based on the model of the UK. New South Wales um, had already um, started with their with their program. Um, and so that essentially, I guess, means that the focus is on um, sexual assault matters, particularly child sexual assault matters, because uh, the Royal Commission really did recognise that, um, that those complainants in particular um, did have communication needs which really impeded their um, their ability to access the justice system in a fair way and in a way that minimises any subsequent trauma to them. So I think it's fair to say that each jurisdiction, while they have different criteria, um, there is a focus on um, child sexual abuse matters. Our scheme also covers homicide matters and we... Um, and, and the people that are eligible are children and adults with a communication need. We have a very broad definition of communication need, which essentially says that if um, if proceedings would be um, benefited by the by the use of an intermediary, then then um, an intermediary should be used. So that could be um, because somebody has a diagnosed communication need, but it could also just be um, that their communication is impeded by trauma or anxiety or or some other thing which as you say is very broad I'm sure that that most of us um would our communication would be impacted by the stress of the the court system let alone someone who has some kind of inter- underlying um communication need that's yeah that's right and and particularly if we're talking about our our court system um, it is it is you know inherently stressful to talk about these um, kinds of matters. But courts, if you've never been in a court, courts are very formal places. They have their own language, and so even you know adults with without any communication needs and, and perhaps you know, a very high level of education will can still find it very difficult to follow um, to follow proceedings because of um, the way they are they are conducted. Absolutely. Lucy, have you have you noticed any sort of key differences between the different jurisdictions? Thanks, Mary. I mean, our eligibility uh, is quite similar to what Marita has described as the eligibility uh, in Tasmania. So again, um, the majority, vast majority of matters referred to us uh, relate to sexual offences, about 95% of requests that we receive. Uh, in Victoria in uh, in relation to sexual offence matters. Um, and we also uh, receive referrals for witnesses to homicide matters. And again, we work so with children and young people under the age of 18 and then with adult witnesses uh, in sexual offence and homicide matters who have a cognitive impairment. That's the way it's set out in the legislation here in Victoria. Uh, but that includes people um, who may have a disability uh, related to uh, a brain injury, dementia, a mental health uh, issue or um, 
intellectual disability. So again, quite broad, which is which is great in terms of ensuring that as many people as may need it are able to access it. And Laura, how, how about you? The ACT is actually quite different, primarily, and as um, Marita and, and Lucy have alluded to, as a Royal Commission recommendation, the focus were on was on uh, children and young people. Um, but in the ACT, the the plan was this phased implementation. Our legislation is very, very, very broad, um, and it includes accused. So there's a provision in the legislation for an accused person to make an application for an intermediary or their legal representative. Um, and that is what the third year of implementation, so we're going into that next year, we're in the process of consulting with our criminal justice stakeholders around the processes and safeguards for that process because it's very different to working with complainants and witnesses in these matters. Um, we also have our ground rules hearings legislated as well. They must take place if the court orders an intermediary. I'm wondering if you would explain because not all our listeners will know what you mean by a ground rules hearing. Sure. So when I I, for, I, I assisted with the setup of the program in New South Wales and the trainer that came out had said, you need to legislate ground rules hearings. And so we thought, oh, what, what does that look like? And it's become so important here in the ACT because it's where the recommendations that the intermediary makes in their assessment report uh, discussed by all the parties and directed by the judicial officer, whether that's in the, the ACT, it's at the magistrate's court and at the um, Supreme Court. So yeah, I think the equivalent will be a district court or county court. Uh, and the, the magistrate or judge will direct the recommendations that the intermediary makes at that ground rules hearing. It's an opportunity for the parties to say, how would I uh, utilise this recommendation during questioning? And, and they sort of go back and forth with the intermediary. It's an opportunity to say, these are what my questions might look like. How can I embed the recommendations so I follow them and there's no need for intervention during cross-examination? Um, so the ground rules hearing is a very important step because that's when the judicial officer will say, this is how I want you to intervene. Uh, this is how frequently the breaks will be. Uh, these are the, uh, well, share your draft questions before a cross-examination takes place or questioning takes place. So it's a very important step before the questioning commences for the, the vulnerable witness or complainant. Can I just add to that one as well that um, we've also legislated for our ground rules hearing and I definitely agree with Laura that, that that's an important new step in, in the system um, to ensure that, the, you know, the role of the intermediary is um, followed through. Brilliant. Because I suppose in, in an ideal world, <laughs> if if all the recommendations and strategies are discussed and agreed and then, um, at a ground rules hearing, the, the actual sort of evidence giving and questioning during the the trial should be much quicker and much smoother and hopefully an intermediary will hardly have to intervene at all so so skipping that ground rules hearing could make for real challenges when it comes to the actual evidence giving and cross-examination is that correct exactly uh, well, the, as um, Marita also mentioned, the, the communication difficulty element of the legislation is also quite broad here, uh, and that's on purpose because, as you also mentioned, Mary, there's such a broad, broad spectrum of, of communication needs, and it's not limited to those that are diagnosed. It can be any kind of um, a conditional barrier that will impact someone achieving their best evidence, and that's ultimately what the program is for, and that's why... Um, in in our jurisdiction, at least in the next part of implementation, will become available to vulnerable accused because it is about access to justice. Um, so really excited to see that. And I'm sure that a lot of 
many of the listeners will be speech pathologists or or other people who are interested in the justice system. A lot of their experience will have been with with the accused and will know firsthand the communication needs that that the majority of people um, involved in the justice system have. So I think that's a that's a fantastic um, step that that's actually going to be taking place in in the ICT and I think that everyone will be looking to see how it how it works and how it evolves and hopefully other jurisdictions will will follow suit. We've certainly in Tasmania um, had referrals for for accused so we we've got a three-year pilot uh, at the moment and, uh, and it doesn't include the accused but we've had three requests for intermediaries for the accused where the judge just uses their inherent powers um, and and we are facilitating those um, those assessment reports and participation in the trial as well. That's similar to um, to the, the scheme in England and Wales in terms of it's there's obviously a great need for for intermediaries with with the accused, but it it hasn't been sort of legislated for. It isn't part of the statutory scheme, um, but the judge can can use their inherent powers of the courtroom to to ask for an intermediary. Um, yeah, that's right. And if I can add, there's a um, in the ACT we have this really discrete body of of work that we've been doing with lawyers in the criminal justice system. So we've had, uh, um, I think, eleven or twelve referrals from legal aid. So there's a disability liaison officer that works with them, uh, and they identify matters where there's a, a significant communication barriers, and intermediaries uh, go into those engagements for the lawyers to obtain instructions from their uh, the accused or the persons of interest in matters. Uh, just so that they are able to uh, give clear guidance around and also to explain to them this is what happens if uh, this is the decision that you make or this is because sometimes it's that cognitive load and trying to to make an informed decision and it's all very confusing it court's confusing um, so the intermediaries have been going into those engagements and helping with those sort of flow charts of if you do this this is what happens this is how many times you'll have to come back to court because that's another thing that uh, vulnerable accused I don't realise is that if you do this, you'll have to come back again. You might have to come back again. And sort of managing that expectation around uh, court and, and, and what it might look like for them. So they've been really rich, yeah, really rich referrals with great outcomes uh, for both the, the lawyer and, um, and the, the person. Wonderful. I'm wondering if you might be able to expand on, on, on that a little, Laura. Um, it, it sounds like there's potentially so many benefits to the justice system and to you know potentially all parties of the justice system i was wondering if if you've got any cases obviously anonymous um that might illustrate that illustrate kind of you know what what are we talking about in terms of how it can help the process and help the people involved yeah absolutely so we primarily have three avenues for for referrals um in the ACT so we have the police that uh, send the majority of our referrals we have lawyers that can make referrals and then obviously the court can appoint for an intermediary as well uh, I think our one of the benefits has been the relationship that we've established with police uh, and they we, we go out and we do training with their interviewing vulnerable witness course which forms part of their uh, the requirements for police to be able to interview view vulnerable people um, and, and we sort of recognise that police have a really hard job to do. They have to remember so many things and then you add a layer of complexity of someone's communication difficulty on top of that and it's it's a lot. And so we've been able to build this really respectful professional relationships where they go the intermediary's got the communication aspect part of it I can focus on the interview and it's a really really great symbiotic relationship so 
um, we've seen that really blossom and and that's been a real positive because so we sort of, you know, established in the ACT without that kind of groundswell that it, we had in New South Wales. So I'd come in here and I thought, oh, how's this going to go? And it's been really wonderful. I'm so grateful to the to the police. But I'd say in terms of a case study, we had a really, really good outcome it's actually now in your report, so you'll be able to refer to the um, ACT Human Rights Commission website. It's in there. Uh, we had a referral for a lawyer um, who had a client with an acquired brain injury and had really, really difficult engagements trying to get clear guidance. And they were in the process of trying to put a civil, uh, a legal guardianship arrangement in place for him so they could make legal decisions on his behalf. So the intermediary sort of went into that interaction and they were able to not only have him explain back what the intermediary role was, but also what decisions, what those sorts of decisions would mean in terms of his, so what the a guardianship arrangement was versus an order versus this versus that. Uh, and he was able to avoid that uh, legal guardianship arrangement, which would have been three years of all those decisions being made for him. But having the intermediary there meant he was able to do it uh, for himself, which was excellent. It makes a huge difference to someone's huge. life. Yep, absolutely. Have you had, you and, and uh, Marita and Lucy, had any feedback from from other stakeholders um, about either positive or challenges that, that people have encountered around the intermediary schemes? For me, the the feedback's been absolutely positive, especially, and even the court, we've seen huge uptake. It's been, we've had double the referrals that we did last year. Uh, the, the the disability liaison officers from each of those, um, so one of the disability justice strategy in the ACT meant um, each agency got a disability liaison officer and all of them have been so positive about the program. Uh, so it's been excellent from our end. Obviously, there are challenges. It's a new scheme. We, we sort of started in the middle of COVID uh, and trying to sort of insinuate yourself into a process where people are just trying to get their regular business as usual job done has been difficult, but everyone's been wonderful. So we're really grateful. That's great. Is any any change to something that is as historical and traditional um, as the justice system Um can take a lot of time and, and there can there can often be resistance to that so the fact that the the feedback is pretty much all positive is incredible and it speaks volumes to how it's been um developed and the collaborations that you've you've established and and the the people involved themselves that's brilliant and Mary, if I can just speak to some of the specific feedback yep. that we've received here in victoria so um absolutely I would echo. Laura's comments. The feedback we've had has really been overwhelmingly positive. Um, but some of the specific feedback we've had around the change in terms of having an intermediary is that uh, witnesses have a better experience. So both at the police stage and the court stage, they have a better experience when they give evidence, that the quality of the evidence they give is better, um, that more people are able to participate in the justice system. So people who previously wouldn't have been able to give evidence have been able to do so. And we've also seen that court hearings are more efficient because of that time that we talked about earlier, that time spent at a ground rules hearing, talking about recommendations, thinking about what's going to work. It means that when we get to the hearing, we get to uh, the witness giving evidence, that happens more smoothly. Absolutely. Lucy, I, you're, I believe, the only one of the 
the three of you who has actually acted as an intermediary, who's, who's performed the role. Um, so just sort of picking your brains a little with that hat on, <laughs> if that's all right. Just wondering what what your experiences were, what, what you found most rewarding or most challenging of actually being an intermediary. Yes, look, I think it is an absolutely brilliant role. And I think um, all of us in all of the jurisdictions feel really lucky to have the kind of skilled, experienced intermediaries we do have working with us. Um, For me, absolutely, it is a challenging role. I think you need to be flexible and creative and think on your feet. You don't know what you're going to walk into. um, So you really have to use all of the skills in your professional toolbox and and be prepared to do something different um, each day. But I think... um, you know, for me and I think for the intermediaries that I'm lucky to work with, many of them say uh, that's also part of what they enjoy about the role. No day is ever the same. Um, and you and you can be really creative uh, in thinking about your recommendations and what's going to work. And I guess one of the challenges might be um, vicarious trauma in terms of the some of the material, some of the that you're that you're exposed to, that you're hearing about. Um, do any of you have any thoughts about how how people might be supported with that emotional challenge of being an intermediary? Oh, look, absolutely, Mira. I think you're right. The material that we work with is really different um, to material that you'd be exposed to really in any other, almost any other job. Um, I think, you know, as an allied health professional, uh, and that's really key to the way that we think about uh, our scheme and the support we provide to intermediaries. So we have a range of strategies that we have in place here in Victoria um, from, you know, immediate debriefing through to regular supervision. So we provide uh, regular external supervision to all of our intermediaries on a monthly basis. Um, and we're always thinking about uh, what we can do to make sure that we've got the right supports in place to be able to do this job well into the future and to look after themselves. Okay, it's great that that's incorporated into the scheme so people aren't sort of left on their own. We certainly have a very similar approach in Tasmania as well. And I think it's probably worth noting just for your listeners who might be new to the role of intermediaries, the, the intermediary themselves doesn't question uh, the person about what has happened. They really give advice on how other people, whether it's lawyers or police, on how they should um, phrase particular questions or, or approach a set of questions. But intermediaries definitely do hear that information. So um, the risk of a vicarious trauma is, is certainly very real. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, has to be acknowledged. So people are um, looking out for it, looking out for their own health, looking out for signs and symptoms that um, that they may be affected. Uh, but again, I think as as Lucy said, that immediate debriefing, having somebody to call and and get that um, off their chest is is really important, um, rather than than bottling bottling that up. And I think that you know some of the feedback we've really had from intermediaries too is that um, be, you know because of the context where this information is being um, discussed and the intermediary's role in 
both facilitating the communication and also, you know, decrease, decreasing those chances of traumatisation. They feel their role is such a positive one that that really offsets some of those risks around the, around the vicarious trauma is that, yeah, intermediates really have this very um, strong sense that they're bringing something very useful to, to the table that, that has never been brought before and that, that has tends to have quite a positive protective um I absolutely yeah. totally agree. Absolutely, it must and it's so rewarding. Oh, so rewarding, yeah. And it's really lovely to hear. You know, we have we have some very um, experienced um, practitioners, as does every jurisdiction, and they, you know, they talk about careers being invigorated, that they're excited, that they're, you know, and and that's a really lovely thing to hear. Absolutely, and I, I would agree. We have a similar, I think, um, clinical debriefing um, option for our in-house colleagues. So we have in-house intermediaries and panel intermediaries. So depending on um, which cohort they fall into we have different options available we also have a really robust when we do the training and accreditation of vicarious uh, trauma uh, component delivered by our senior intermediaries and acknowledging that not everybody's trigger is going to be the same and you might not know what will trigger you uh, because the work is so diverse and we've we in the ACT have also moved into the family violence space too so um, it's not just that sexual violence that they can get exposed to in those matters but also things that are probably more um, prevalent and more frequent uh, and yeah so you don't know what's going to trigger you and you, and having that op- option to come back to the to the program and say I'm putting my hand up I need to talk to somebody about this is really important but they do find the work so rewarding uh, and they do feel like they are uh, making this huge difference and that does sort of inspire them to keep going but COVID has added a bit of complexity to that there was a bit of fatigue I think this year um, around that sort of burnout vicarious trauma but I think everyone's sort of coming through the end, hopefully. I, I think that was experienced in many, many professions, not just intermediaries. That sort of added complexity to every, everyone's lives and increased the risk of burnout and fatigue. It is, it's a really exciting way that people can put their, the skills and experience that they've gained elsewhere in their, in their careers and in their lives into this phenomenally important um, position that that helps so many people um, navigate the justice process. So if people are interested in finding out more about becoming an intermediary or about about the intermediary scheme in general, what should they do? Where should they go? Who should they contact? What should their next step be? Well, I think that would depend on on where they live and um, and where they practice. So it would be getting in contact with with the intermediary team in whichever state or jurisdiction uh, that they live in. And do they find contact details? To, will Google bring it up? I think Google will certainly bring it up. Well, the ACT Human Rights Commission has an intermediary dedicated intermediary page for us, at least in the ACT. So if you go there, there's um, an application process for becoming an intermediary. We're running another training and accreditation session in. 2022 probably February March for more panel intermediaries so we are trying to do that as a role in recruitment to keep it replenished and fresh uh, for those matters because we're a 24-7 service we have um, referrals coming through public holidays weekends after hours so keeping that panel going is um, a a way that we can mitigate uh, our availability of intermediaries Uh, so yeah ACT Human Rights Commission website if you're interested in becoming an intermediary in Canberra in the ACT. And here in Victoria, that intermediary program is based in the Department of Justice and Community Safety, uh, and we are very happy to take um, calls or emails from people 
uh, through through the intermediary program team. And the same for Tasmania. Our scheme is run through the Department of Justice and a quick Google will um, will ensure that you find us. It would be really nice, I think, for all of our jurisdictions, I think it would be really nice to um, encourage more men to, to join um, our respective panels. Definitely. So a call out to, to the male practitioners out there. Call, call out to all the blokes. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for for speaking with me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back with another Speak Up conversation next Wednesday. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, Mary. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Mary. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found. And make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.